Hello, Dustin, coming at you before the podcast again to once again have to explain some audio issues. Uh, I apologize. I'm having the same issue with my mic I had during the last recording, which means there's going to be crackling and a little bit of skipping. None of the things I was saying were lost from it, but it is slightly annoying, and I apologize for that on my end. I thought I had the issue fixed. Turns out I did not, so... Hopefully this is the last time we'll have this issue. I know I said that on the last episode, but fingers crossed. I bought some new stuff, so hopefully our next podcast should sound a little bit better. And hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another brain-bending, mind-altering episode of Save Station Radio. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me is Connor. Hello there. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well, just coming off this this wonderful, wonderful game. Yeah, I'm doing alright. It's it's uh, allergy season, so, you know, you know how that goes. Bear with us on the, on the podcast if we're... Little, little flemmy, you know? Uh, yes, we are talking about Psychonauts 2 today. Once again, developed by Double Fine and published by... This time around, it was published by Xbox Game Studios. Kind of going full circle there from the from the previous game uh, dealings with Xbox, right? When it was meant yeah. to be an exclusive, which is interesting. Meant to be an exclusive, came right around to still not being an exclusive, but still close to Xbox. Uh, it was released for the PC, PS4, Xbox One, Xbox Series X on August 25th, 2021. And then it got uh, Linux and Mac release on May 24th, 2022, which I actually was unaware of. Yeah, well, as of recording, that was a month ago, so <laughs> pretty yeah. recent. Um, Why don't you tell us about some of the history while I see what's going on with my mic. All right. Um, So after Double Fine released the first game in 2005, which we mentioned two episodes ago now, uh, they obviously had interest in developing a sequel with it. They had a lot of ideas for the original and felt like there was grounds to expand. But due to the absolute nightmare that 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 game's development became and then the terrible sales of the game, uh, both of which we mentioned in the Psychonauts 1 episode, uh, Majesco, who published that game, and held the rights for it, did not want to do a sequel. So after after several years of crawling themselves into a point of sta- stability with their mobile games and their other ventures, which we mentioned in the Rhombus of Ruin episode, uh, Double Fine would finally become financially successful, um, not just critically successful. <laughs> so uh, in 2011, when the Psychonauts' rights defaulted back to Double Fine, they got them back from Majesco. They re-released it and finally started seeing success from their debut game. Again, we mentioned this previously. So after there was obviously a market for Psychonauts, they began shopping the idea for Psychonauts 2 around to publishers, which we've seen them do time and time again. Uh, this time asking for a budget of $18 million, which 
um, for a game that did not sell well initially and is kind of niche is a little bit is a bit of a big ask. Um, so many publishers shied away from the project because of that. Uh, this little nugget was <laughs> kind of a weird thing to happen, but in February 2012, Marcus Person, one of the uh, co-creators of Minecraft, uh, tweeted that he would fund the game. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and then there were talks all throughout 2012, and he eventually stepped away from funding it. <laughs> uh, it was a whole shit show and marcus person uh, a bad person for many things this low on the list but still on the list yeah yeah they're not a great guy but then you know he ended up not funding psychonauts too so there you go is it person or pearson i don't know (laughs) i've known about this guy since 2012 i still don't know how to pronounce it so at the Game Awards in 2015, uh, Tim Schafer announced a crowdfunding campaign for Psychonauts 2 to be launched alongside a new crowdfunding platform called Fig, which he is one of the advisory board members for, um, alongside a bunch of other industry veterans. Uh, the crowdfunding company allows users to not only just fund it like the standard Kickstarter, but also opt to become investors of the project which i think mainly means that then they get a cut of the profits after the game's released yeah which is interesting it is interesting it seems to have worked out for this game and there's been a couple of other projects on it but i don't know like fig also has the option to just do regular backing like kickstarter so it doesn't like I think about half of the actual backers on Fig chose to be investors, whereas the other half were like, nah, just do the Kickstarter thing. <laughs> so yeah, you got yeah. options. It seems better to me as a person who doesn't know shit about finances. <laughs> Boy, I don't know shit about finances either, and researching this game felt made me feel insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, on this timeline, a few days after that campaign was announced... Uh, Rhombus of Ruin was also announced for to be in development uh, just so we have the timeline cleared up so um, when they were shopping it to publishers Double Fine said Psychonauts 2 would cost 18 million dollars to make the goal for the campaign was about like 3 million dollars and with 5 days left of their 38 day limit they reached it uh, they ended up getting 3.8 million dollars which is about a third of the budget, which is alarming. But then also you have to remember that Double Fine themselves has a bit of capital from their previous ventures. And then they also had a third party investor covering the slack. So they had the budget, at least almost all of it. Uh, In February 2017, just two weeks before Rhombus of Ruins release, it was announced that Starbreeze, the developer of Payday 2 and Brothers A Tale of Two Sons, would invest $8 million towards digital distribution of the game. So there's another source of income. Double Fine had been planning a 2018 release of the game, but that got delayed. They announced in 2017 that it would get delayed to at least 2019 and then at the Game Awards of 2018, they had an alpha trailer shown, which looks fairly similar to the game. There's some levels that look quite a bit different. The main thing to 
note is that when you go back to it, there's no Xbox logo and there is a Starbreeze logo, which aren't present. <laughs> Uh, in June 2019, Double Fine was acquired by Microsoft. Uh, this was part of Xbox's big push to buy up a bunch of studios and create the Xbox Game Studios brand. And they purchased the publishing rights from Starbreeze for $13.2 million. So Starbreeze got a bit of profit there. Uh, Double Fine was actually quite happy with the partnership, as I've heard from a lot of these Xbox studios, is that they're doing all right they were saying that they were act at the point where they were actually cutting boss fights due to budget concerns but uh the buyout from microsoft allowed them to add them back in yeah this game got delayed when this happened and it seems to have been a, a very positive thing for the outcome yeah there was also um and i'll link a bunch of sources but this one was an interview um with Tim Schafer and then a bunch of other people that were bought out by the Xbox game studios. And they were happy to not have to worry about like vying to a bunch of different publishers that it was just, Hey, here's some money, make the game. And then they can kind of do what they want, which is what they've kind of always done is the vibe I've got. But obviously there's some more stuff behind the scenes. So it's seems all great from that front. Yeah. They can do it without the stress. Right. Yeah. That's the main thing. Um, so after a couple more delays, like real pushing quick, it real back quick, though, yeah, yeah, it's not in here, but and maybe someday we'll talk about this. But if you want to learn, if you want like a like a wild ass story, go look up Starbreeze and what happened to Starbreeze. <laughs> to, okay. get into that because uh, I believe at one point a couple of years ago they were raided by the government of whatever country they. I believe uh, it's are Finland. In. They're in. Yeah, could be wrong about right. that. Or Sweden? Well, I think it's Sweden. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, uh, some unfortunate stuff there. Yeah, uh, I did not so, delve into Starbreeze for this one. But. You know, someday if we talk about Brothers or like the Darkness or whatever, I'm sure we can get into that. But yeah, it's some really uh, interesting things. It was looking pretty grim for this game. I remember for a couple of years there because of that whole situation. Um, but thankfully, High and Mighty Microsoft came in and saved it. After a couple more delays, this eventually pushing it back to 2021, uh, this time allowing also for an optimized Xbox Series X version, uh, the game was finally finished on August 6th, 2021, and released on August 23rd, as mentioned. Yeah, a uh, long road to get here. Very uh, typical of a Psychonauts game. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, though, it was mainly just this like crazy financial sources but the actual development of the game, I, from what I understand, is solid. Like, there isn't a whole lot of information about what what went on behind the scenes. You know, there isn't a big post-mortem like we had with Psychonauts 1. But, and especially seeing the final game, it seems like it kind of worked out. Yeah, totally. It definitely seems like a better situation for sure. A lot smoother, at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, then. Let's... Uh... Let's give our, our quick uh, quick thoughts on this one. Um... Uh, why don't you why don't you start off and and let us know what what in a couple sentences what did you think? 
I really like this game. I went into it knowing that it had gotten only great reviews. Um, I was also looking at the reviews and Psychonauts 1 got really good reviews. This one got even better than that. So <laughs> I knew it was going to be pretty good going into it, but I was a bit skeptical because I didn't think the first game was like all the way there. So I was like, oh, it could improve it, but I don't know. Um, I got to about halfway through and I was like, this game is absolutely fantastic. And then by the end of the game, I was like, this game is definitely in at least the top 10 of platformers. You know, it's really solid, but my main critiques of the game, I think are still the overall movement controls are still a little bit uh, either slow or slippery. <laughs> like those are the options for it. They control really well. It's just that they're not that extremely fine-tuned precision that you get from certain other games. So um, if anything, that's a nitpick. So yeah, I think uh, this is one that I'm definitely very glad that I played and would recommend it to fans of platformers or just you know, interesting storytelling in video games. Uh, I'm pretty similar uh, on my views on this one. I This was my game of the year last year. I absolutely adore it. It is one of my favorite platformers of all time. I think it is pretty much immaculate. I, I love the way it controls, but um, yeah, I, I could see I could see a little bit of that. I think I think you're probably right in terms of like like Mario Odyssey probably controls just a little bit better, but I think it's just a little bit. Like I think this is super close to that in a way that I I love. Obviously, I think, and I probably have said this on the podcast before, but Mario Odyssey is my favorite platformer of all time, and that most of that is because of how fine-tuned the controls are. And you're right, this is not a far cry from that. Like, it's not quite as good, but it is, like, 95% the way there. Yeah, um, I, I was a little worried when I started this up for the second time, because, you know, you know, when you play a game and you get that, like, new game, like that new game smell where you're like, this is amazing. And then, you know, you can go back to stuff. And it's like, okay, it wasn't as good as I I thought on that first time around. You know, this is the second time I've played this game within a six-month period. And I I can honestly say it's it's one of my all-time favorites. I think it is a phenomenal experience. It's super fun to play, super fun to bounce around. I think the narrative is great. I love how everything fits together. I was noticing new things this playthrough. I, I really do adore the experience of Psychonauts 2 and can't recommend it enough. Yeah, so do you want to give a quick setup of just like the story, the mechanics, and then how it goes from previously Rhombus of Ruin to this one without much spoilers? Yeah, so mechanically we are we're kind of right where the last one left off. It's not we don't retain retain all of our abilities, but we retain most of them. Some things have been tweaked a little bit, but it it, it pretty much controls like the last one. You get a double jump, you can float with the levitate ability. This time around it's been a, a little bit nerfed. Um, you can't just float forever. It's kind of got a timer on it, but it, it's it's pretty similar. Um, the the big change here is how combat works. Uh, in that, at first glance, you might not think it's too different, but it's been made much more active. Kind of, it, it feels a lot more intentional this time around versus the first game, which just felt like, oh yeah, we need combat so you can deal with enemies. This time around, it feels like an active section of the game. It feels a lot more like they were taking inspiration from action games, kind of like your Devil May Cry or whatever. It's got 
melee combat, it's got uh, ranged combat, it's got ways to close the gap and distances. Like they they have really thought about using your psycho uh, your psychonaut tool badges um, and powers in a way that works both for the traversal puzzle solving and combat, and I think it all flows together very well. But overall, if you are familiar with the first game, this just feels like a more I don't want to say streamlined, but a, but a more thought out and modern version of that. Yeah, a more refined version of the first. One, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, the combat is very more deliberate. I would say a lot of it feels that same sort of good motion versus action uh, vibe that you get from like a Ratchet and Clank game. That's the kind of vibe I was getting where you can lock on and then shoot projectiles, but you're still dodging the enemies that are coming at you and you can swap between melee and ranged and use your other tools. So yeah, it's a lot lot more intentional and a lot more fun to actually go through the combat. Yeah, totally. It, it feels like it solves that issue of combat in a lot of these games, which is something that Ratchet and Clank did solve by um, making it essentially a third-person shooter. Uh, but but it makes combat fun and enjoyable to do, to the point where this game has optional combat rooms, right? And they're not a chore, which is pretty impressive to me. But narratively, we, we start off where Brahmas of Ruin left off, we get Truman Sonato, and we take him to the mother the mother lobe, which is great, which is the head not the headquarters of the Psychonauts. And pretty quickly, we discover that Lobato was not acting alone, and that there was a mole in the Psychonauts, and it is our job to sniff out that mole and to uncover the secrets of what is happening. Is essentially the pitch. Yep. Um, when Psychonaut when Raz gets to the mother lobe, he has been awarded the title of Psychonauts by Ford Cruller at the end of the first game. But when he gets there, they're like, oh, Ford Cruller can't give out those badges. You're an intern now, which I thought was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, which basically is kind of a way to just kind of reset your progress where you don't have all your badges. You kind of have to earn a couple of them again. You have most of them. But also, you know, you get an intern handbook and you get to level up and stuff. So, uh, you know, little cheeky gameplay reasons but it's pretty fun in the universe as well totally let's uh let's 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 start there let's start with the uh, the internship stuff uh one of my complaints with the first game was i really enjoyed the writing and and all the the weird characters and stuff but i felt like there were too many kids in the first one where i couldn't really remember most of them and a lot of them didn't super stick out to me this one really um kind of narrows down them and puts them into your intern class so we've got a new group of students but there are a lot less of them but they're like six other kids or something yeah rather than like 13 or something those in the original yeah and so they all stand out a lot more which i i think is really nice and uh they all get moments too which is really cool um and, and i think that's that's kind of pervasive throughout the entire experience is a, a lot of the characters feel a lot more meaningful this time around there's only there is one character that I don't feel like gets gets enough attention, but we'll talk about that later. But everyone else I feel like gets gets an appropriate amount, and you get to learn about them and what their deal is, and it's it's really great. Yeah, um, if you remember when we were talking about Psychonauts one and how the end of that game sort of is dealing about each person's problems in this asylum, and how the first half of the game is mostly just tutorials, uh, this one feels like they realized the narrative potential that the second half of Psychonauts 1 had and applied that to every aspect. So 
like as you're going through, you'll find you'll explore the brains of people that you know and you care about, and then you're helping them deal with their problems. And it's true for like the entire adventure. So even when you're getting a tutorial about a certain move, there's still a narrative reason for it, for you getting that move, a narrative reason for you to use that move, and then actual narrative ramifications for using it. So it flows a lot better. The pacing's better in that respect, but the story is just that much more engaging because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I think we'll move on from story and, and character because it's kind of hard to talk about it without spoiling it. Because <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all very good. Just trust us when we say that. I, I, I think one of the big cool things with the, the, the first game was these sort of unique levels and the, the playground of people's minds that it played around with. And this one, I think, pretty much surpasses it in creativity, which is super impressive. Um, the thing I really love about it, though, is that it doesn't have levels that are just wacky for no reason, right? They always loop back into the personality of the person you are you are entering their minds, right? Like, it, every level feels intrinsically connected to that human being in such a smart and clever way that is really compelling this is why i said that it's such a great way of demonstrating storytelling through video games is because a lot of the story and characterization isn't told to you like you can interpret and infer some things from your conversations with them but it makes so much more sense when you're in their head and the actual level design and visual design and sound design and enemy design and everything about the level themselves also serves as character building. So rather than them telling you things or having a bunch of cutscenes with them, you get to kind of experience the story as you're going, which is something that's pretty unique to video games. And I think this really capitalizes on it. Totally. Um, I think we can talk about the first level here. Uh, we, we, we entered Dr. Lobato's mind uh, who who is the the villain dentist from the the first game and from uh, Rambus of Ruin, and this is the second time we've entered his mind, um, which I, I do think is interesting. He's the only character we we enter their mind twice, right? Um, well, aside from later oh, in this oh, game, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, duh. <laughs> but uh, uh, but this aspect of his mind, we get to that dentist aspect, uh, but we're also because we're trying to get information out of him, we've collided it with sort of this office uh, environment because it's sort of this espionage thing where we're, we're, we're pretending he's won an award so we can get him to tell us who his boss is. Which is fantastic. Yes, it's so good. You need improvement from your supervisor, so go get this signed by your boss. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's, it's great. But yeah, he slowly unravels that and figures out. And so then his, the aspect of his personality starts colliding with that. And because he's a dentist, we get like this office environment that then becomes covered in gums and teeth. And it's God, really it's gnarly. Awful. It's awful. <laughs> it's... As someone with a fear of teeth and eyeballs, this game really was a struggle sometimes. I tell you what. <laughs> oh yeah. They did give you a warning too at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Which was very much appreciated. They, they give you a warning for that stuff as well as like saying, Hey, this is dealing with some mental illness stuff and it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate. So seek some additional resources if you are actually curious about this or think it's serious so that was just nice to see as well for them tackling this subject 
yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah, the the sort of collision of the the dentist and, and the the sort of mouth stuff with this drab office environment is such a compelling thing for the art. Like it's so it stands out so well, and I think all of the levels are like that. Not necessarily as gross, but it's just everything feels so stand out and and unique. It's so compelling, and, and I think that that level is a great. Uh, showcase of it it also kind of lets us continue where we were last time with the idea of minds colliding and and sort of things getting interwoven and connected like that it's a bold opening to the game and then everything after delivers on that promise (laughs) yeah absolutely i think we can we can save other levels for later but um let's uh let's talk about the hub world because this might be one of my favorite hub worlds of all time (laughs) it's pretty good (laughs) It's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm not one for... Like, hub worlds can be done poorly, really easily. Um, you know, it's it's hard work to make a hub world feel good. And this one really nails it. Like, obviously, the world building... the There's, I guess, three hub worlds technically, but the, the primary one is the mother lobe itself. And it's great because it is that same level design philosophy where you are being able to move it, traverse it as fast as you would normally. There's a bunch of little secrets to find if you are the explorative type, and it opens up more and more as you go throughout the game, which is the three things I'm looking for in a hub world. The hub world for me is what really codifies this as such a fantastic collectathon. I think the reason why I like it so much is it feels like the perfect 2021, I guess, the type of its release version of what you kind of want out of like a modern Banjo-Kazooie or whatever. I I think it, because it's so good about encouraging you to explore and having your exploration, you know, be jumping around on fun stuff. Um, One of the early things like there's a cafeteria and you can jump up on the lights in the ceiling to get a collectible and stuff like that. Like it does a good job of hiding and incentivizing you to just look around and have a good time just checking stuff out and i think it's so smart about that um yeah i think another thing that i really appreciate in these platformers is them realizing the utility of their moveset so with like mario odyssey you know if you can kind of figure your way around the moveset to get somewhere they're going to put a collectible there uh this kind of feels the same way where like if you can use the moveset in a way to get to an area and if you kind of rationalize that in your brain, stringing together moves and uh, getting the physics to work with you, then they're going to reward you with it. Like they kind of know what they're, what you're going to be capable of and they reward you for pulling it off. Yeah, totally. It feels like it's constantly rewarding you too, which is so, uh, so fun. And, And I think it is so successful at that. Yeah, the, the Muddle Lobe is great. Uh, my favorite area in the entire game is the questionable area, though, which you will get to pretty early on. But it, I love it because, like, the thing I love about the first game's hub world area is the vibes of it, that summer camp feeling. Uh, it, and I was a little worried that this wouldn't have that until you get to this, like, foresty area, which is the questionable area, which is the most fun area to explore. It's got lots of trees for you to get up on top of and caves to explore and people to me like it is such a wonderful environment to platform in that uh it is so good 
yeah and the vibes of it are especially great it's a big like forest tourist tourist attraction where it's all these you know crypto zoological things and you know unexplained mysteries type deal and it's also like right outside the psychonauts headquarter kind of <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 wonderful Anything else we want to mention here? Slight difference in the upgrading system. In the first game, you kind of just got upgrades in a linear order as you as you level up. This time around, it kind of lets you pick. Pick and choose and spend skill points, basically, on little mini skill trees, which which I, I, I like. I think it, it allows for some choice and variation there. Yeah, in the first game, it was like you have to reach rank 55 to get an upgrade to your Psyblast. But in this one, it's like as you level each level up, you get a point and then you can put that point into, you know, upgrading your side blast as quick as possible if you'd like. So, uh, any, you know, freedom in your play style, I think is welcomed. And this does a good job of incentivizing you to experiment with it. Yeah. Especially now that there's a, a heavier importance placed on combat. I think that that, that is really beneficial. Um, and then also we have badges, uh, which which sort of modify, oh the pins, the the pins, yeah, yeah, the pins, because right, badges are the other things, <laughs> badges the pins, are the upgrades, the pins which, are the modifiers, <laughs> yeah, which modify specific aspects, um, and they can be anything from, uh, making your melee attack stronger to allowing you to pet animals. Like there's some silly ones in there, and some fun ones. Uh, you can only equip three of them at a time though, so you kind of got to make a little bit of a mini loadout. Uh, you buy them from a vending machine. So that, that, that works out very well. Yeah, I think a lot of them are largely pointless. <laughs> like, I felt like there were more silly ones than I thought there were going to be. And a lot of the helpful ones are really, really expensive. Uh, so I ended up sticking to just, like, the same three for most of the game. Yeah, that's fair. I could see that happening. Um, I had fun playing around with it, but this is also my second playthrough, so... <laughs> And also, you went for 100% on this one. I did. I did get the Platinum. Uh, I got. The, I played the PS... This is to tell you how much I like this game. I played it on Game Pass last year. I Since since then, just I ran out of my subscription on Game Pass and didn't really feel like resubbing. Um, so I bought this version on PS4, playing it on PS5 for full retail price. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Which uh, I was hoping to get a little bit of a deal out of it, but I wasn't too upset. I got it on sale for about half price, and I can say that would a physical copy happen to be released, I would gladly buy this game again. Same. I'm so upset there aren't physical copies. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple for fake backers, but that's about it. But yeah, I, I had fun playing around with the, the pins, but yeah, I, I could see why that would be a, a little annoying. And there are some in there that are like changing the color of your, your thought bubble, which you could do in the last game as well, which are like, it, it, I don't really understand why that has to be a pin, why I can't have the color changed while also having other pins. It's a little silly, but um, overall I do like the system and some of the fun gags they put in there. They are expensive and I did spend my money on the one that lets you pet the animals. So, you know, <laughs> I guess that's on me. Uh, there are also a couple, if you want to, if you're paying attention, you have to, they're, they're level based, so you can't equip certain ones if you're not high enough level. But there's one for um, getting twice the amount of currency you collect. And then yes, there's one that'll give you a that discount one. in the shop. So you can kind of go for those earlier if you are trying to go for that 
There's also one that gives you money based on when you use a specific move. Um, yeah. So. So it, it does become fairly simple to farm if you're worried about it. It doesn't. It's not like the arrowhead stuff in the first game. <laughs> yeah, where you had to basically grind to get this one thing so you could progress the game. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, though, let's talk collectibles. There's quite a few in this game. There are. Uh, we do have the returning emotional baggage, which is great. Yep, works the same. You have to find a bag, a luggage tag, and then find the corresponding luggage to clear up the emotional baggage, which is still great. Uh, you also have the returning figments. Yes, the figments make a return as well. Um, uh, improved, I think they are. They're more clear in the environment, which I deeply appreciate, and also it's better about labeling where you're missing stuff which is nice yeah and also the instant you go into the level it tells you how many there are um and then it also tells you how many to until you get to your next rank which you know is similar to the first game as well but yeah there weren't as many that were just kind of like the first game had a couple figments that would kind of float in and out of being accessible so like yes. if you just didn't see them then you're kind of out of luck or you have to wait around in specific areas and hope that you see one coming up or even some that were just way more transparent than the others that i thought were kind of rough <laughs> yeah a lot of that are is fixed um first of all i think they have a certain three-dimensional aspect to them yeah am i right bit. in saying that like they're a bit th- they're a bit thicker than, than in the first game. Yes. Um, I do want to know a couple things on this for completionists out there. It it is This game is much better about telling you areas that you have fully completed. It's not perfect, but if you go to the little teleport dude uh, who returns from the first game when you're returning to a level, it'll tell you, it'll give you a check mark on which areas you've collected every collectible in. Yeah, made it very helpful to for the levels I did go to complete. Yes, and then there's also a figment list uh, that doesn't unfortunately it unfortunately doesn't title them, so you kind of got to guess if you're like trying to look something up. But I also want to note because I did not realize this. I think this may have been a update added post support, or I just like completely missed it for a second time, which would be embarrassing. But um, you you get like this camera for photo mode. And oh at the yes, end of the- there is a tracker for it. I forgot about that. Yeah, and at the end of the game, you get a there's a filter for it that I think is supposed to make figments really easily visible in the environment. I don't know how it works because unfortunately, I ran around in hundred percent of this game before I knew about that. So before you knew about the camera? Oh no, I had the camera. I didn't have that uh, filter because that filter doesn't show up till you beat the game. Yeah, yeah. So you did a lot of it before you beat the game. Yeah, which is. Super unfortunate. <laughs> so I can't tell you how well that works, but it is there. So note that if you're if you're planning 100%ing it, maybe wait till you've completed the the story, because <laughs> there are a couple of devilish figments in there that are kind of hard to find. There's also kind of reason to do that because a lot of the levels you can't 100% your first time through. Either like you will unlock the ability that grants a separate area in that level but you'll unlock the ability way later so you have to come back to that level and that 
bothers me in some games where it's like I can't 100% it the first time through, so I will have to come back. But in this game, I don't super mind. I also didn't 100% it this time, so but I could see myself doing it if I did have more time. No, and I believe there are no progression gates. Like, you can just play this game and not worry about collectibles at all. Um, of course, you won't be leveled up, but um, I don't think there's anything preventing you from from entering the next level. Yeah, I will say with the improved combat and stuff, though, I did die a handful of times, so... Oh, yeah, it's not it's no slouch. It will kill you. You'll want to go for the upgrades if you can. Yeah, totally. Uh, to get back on the collectibles, though, we have uh, Half of Mines. This might be my favorite. Yep. <laughs> These guys, when you collect two of them, you get a... To create a full mind, of course. Uh, you get another heart, or in this case, brain, for your health. So you get more hit points, which is lovely. Of course, in the overworld, the, the side cards and the challenge markers return. And the Nuggets of Wisdom. The Nuggets of Wisdom, which are kind of like a, a, a golden object that um, you know has something to do with the level... Uh, they also give you a little bit of a of a perk too. Um, and they just they give also, you an entire level. Yeah, they give you an entire level. Um, and uh, yeah, they're also just you know kind of objects that are related to the mind you're in. Uh, and I believe that is it. Uh, arrowheads are replaced with titanium, but it's the same idea. Titanium's also more plentiful and easier yeah. to get, which is nice. I mean, technically, the arrowheads were made out of titanium in the first game, so they're the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's basically the gist of the, the collectible situation. Uh, and again, I think this game's platforming level design really encourages looking for that stuff in such a fun way that uh, that really feeds nicely and with the, the sort of collectathon-y elements of this game. Yeah, I will say also, while we're on the topic of sort of progression and stuff, this game is quite a bit longer than the first game. Uh, the first game we said was about like what six to eight hours long it's not super long the first one uh this one is at least double that length just even just mainlining it yeah i'd say so um it was interesting when we were talking about it and we, you know i kind of had that realization where i'm like well the first four levels of this game are just like weirdly short tutorials <laughs> this game does not really have that like the first level tutorializes you on pretty much everything you need to know and then you kind of get these full length levels that uh that they feel better paced in my opinion yeah you you know that this is a longer game it doesn't feel longer and i think that that is oh, it a, really does not it's a really big achievement where i i loved every second of it. it's a game i finished and i'm like i want more <laughs> like i platinumed this game it was like i wish i had more to do yeah i think while the first game kind of benefited from its shorter length because it was like okay cool that was that was pretty neat um this one yeah you will be pretty hooked i think <laughs> It's the kind of situation where if the first game was any longer, the flaws would become a lot more stark, right? Like, the flaws we talked about would be a lot more infuriating and annoying. Whereas this time around, because the game is so good, you're left wanting more, which is the place you want to be with something like this. Exactly. You know, it's the kind of thing where it's like, the actual stat of the length of a game doesn't matter. It's how well it holds up through its time right a short game can feel long if it's bad and a long game can feel short if it's amazing um not that this is a long game but you get the idea anything else anything else we want to get into before we we, we start spoiling things uh i'm ready to start spoiling things oh performances are fantastic 
Oh, yes, the vocal and acting performances. There's no real mocap, I don't think. I think it's all hand animated, but yeah, the vocal performances are fantastic. Yes, really, truly great. The music, also fantastic. There's several like original full full songs uh, that are phenomenal. <laughs> God, one of my favorite things is that... <laughs> we'll talk about this in spoilers. One of the songs is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. I, yes. I just realized that all of that is a very big spoiler. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, I, I still love the character design. I do think it's toned back a little bit from the first game. If you're where somebody was turned off of that, it's not. It hasn't lost that. <laughs> so if you completely hate it, this isn't going to win you over. But it is a little toned back. Yeah, I think the aesthetic is a bit cleaned up though, and I really appreciate that. I think the first game had this sort of gross-out, cartoonish vibe that I think was similar to a lot of those Cartoon Network shows back in the day. Uh, this still has that vibe, but is a lot easier on the eyes, I would say. So if you were completely turned off, it might be a little bit better, but it still has that charm if you were a fan. Right, yes. Let's get into some spoilers then. Uh, yeah, obviously I have to say, we both highly recommend this game, I think. Yeah, I, think, I do. Uh, it does mention you paid full price for it, which it is definitely worth that. If you wait a little bit, you can find some sales. I, I've seen it go on sale on GOG quite a few times. So it's obviously um, on Game Pass with the first game as well. Yeah, so just play it, play it there. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get a physical copy, but I wouldn't hold my breath. All right, we are going to move on to spoilers. And yeah, so we will see you later if you are leaving us. What is your favorite mind? Your favorite level? Oh, my favorite level. Um, man, they're all so good. I would ha- probably have to say the Psy King's Sensorium. I have the oh, level yeah. names if you want them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will need them because I've forgotten. Yeah, I think when I initially played this game, the one that touched me the most was Bob's Bottles, obviously. But I think gameplay-wise, is it Compton's... Compton's cook-off Compton's cook-off yes I was gonna say cook-out but that's not right is is such a unique idea I think works really well uh I think that might have won me over on my second playthrough is my favorite but they're all really good yeah I will say so Hollis's level was great in terms of storytelling I think that it's mainly like it's a bit combat focused and not as balanced as the other ones, but was fantastic nonetheless. Um, Bob's mm. Bottles, again, also a similar deal where it was all platforming and little combat, but also very well-paced story-wise. All the Ford Crawler missions are fantastic. Um, I especially like the bowling ball and the um, big mail room. There's really not a bad level in the bunch, I don't think. No, honestly, like it's really hard for me to... like. I'm like, what's my least favorite? And maybe Ford's Follow Keels, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that one had the weird thing where I actually had to text Dustin and say, how do I get past this? Because there's just a bunch of bugs. So maybe that one, but it's, but maybe that one just because it's kind of short and linear. It's kind of meant to be the first one of Ford's missions you do. Uh, even though you could do them in any order, but I feel like that's the one they just push you to. 
so I kind of get it. Uh, but yeah, I I really don't think there's a bad level in the bunch. I mean, technically, Lucretia's Lament because it's like it's a boss fight. Well, no, because you get no, the... it's not the boss fight. It's just the yarn level where it's like a couple rooms. <laughs> well, you get the circus area before that. Yeah, that's true. But again, it's like the shortest in the bunch, and that's the only reason it's bad is because there's not not more of it. But the art in that level, it's oh, so it's good. Fantastic. And the flea circus, like I love that. That like, like this game is puns all the way down. <laughs> it just is. Puns as storytelling. Yeah, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, uh, talking about Psyching Sensorium, the thing that I was about to spoil was that fantastic song <laughs> that. This brain is revealed to be the brain of Helmet Fulbear, uh, which I guess we could cover the whole story, but I just find it so funny that they had Helmet Fulbear be voiced by Jack Black, and they're like, you know, he's busy, he's Jack Black. Like, we can't have him for all of the lines of his character, so we'll just have him be in a body that's not his own, so he doesn't have as many lines. But the body that they put him in is voiced by Elijah Wood, so like... (laughs) It's like, hmm. <laughs> yes, and and you were going to mention that song, right? Yes, I was. The song is absolutely fantastic. The Cosmic Eye, I believe is what it's called. Uh, yes, which Jack Buck performs beautifully. I That level is so cool because it's centered around the idea of your senses and this mind that hasn't had access to his senses for decades. And so... It's it's really overwhelming, and you get into the, it, you know, when you first enter the mind, it's this sort of black nothingness um, that you're kind of wandering through, you know, kind of um, symbol, you know, it's showing you what what it has been seeing, and then you get into the level, and it's just this bright and colorful, and it's cell shaded, and it's like gorgeous, but it is a sensory overload of color and brightness, and this is also, I think, where the panic attack enemies are first introduced. <laughs> which is so smart. But yeah, it's just this like idea of senses and you know some sensory overload stuff, but also just like the idea of coming into it and you're you're tracking down the senses because they're playing this this show. They're this like rock band and they're playing uh on stage and they need to be found. Uh, and they've scattered and so collecting them and then having them play the song and the senses are also god there's so much. <laughs> Yeah, so not only is he tracking down his senses, but he's also tracking down his former teammates that he got separated from. So all the senses are voiced and portrayed by th- his former teammates. <laughs> yeah, who are the Psychic Six, who uh, is kind of kind of co- uh, comprises most of this game, who are the former leaders of the Psychonauts, who are now all old hippies, um, you know, kind of off doing their own thing a lot of the times. And so you're kind of bringing them together. The thing I love about this game is because all, most of the levels are centered around the Psychic Six, you're able to go into their minds and see what they think of one another, or they think their friends perceive them. And that's one of my favorite aspects of this. And so there's always these different representations of characters we know in each each person's mind, which I think is so beautifully done. Yeah, so let's talk about how the plot kind of unfolds, because it set up pretty close to the start that the big villain is this entity known as Maligula, um, who was the fearsome foe that Ford fought. God, that almost was a disaster of words. Um, <laughs> that 
it's the reason that Ford's mind is split up in the first game. So you get to see that and you could, you kind of piece together that Maligula has been gone for a long time, but she has followers who are trying to resurrect her. So it's all about, you know, finding who the mole is and then finding who's trying to resurrect Maligula. But then you kind of get to explore the Psychic Six who formed the summer camp from the first game as well as the Psychonauts as a whole. You get to see how they how they were formed, how they created these things, and then what their relationship with Maligula was because she was actually the seventh founding member. And uh, after the fight with Maligula who is Lucretia, you, all of the, the six other members went their different ways. You know, Ford's brain got shattered. Helmet Fulbear got buried in ice and they tried to save him, but he was stuck under the ice for decades. You get Compton and Cassie who make amends with each other and Bob who had to be sort of demoted from his position by his son because he wasn't, mentally well after the fight so uh, not only do you get to go see how these things unfolded but then you also get to help them with their problems and get the gang back together and you know like you said you get to see how they think about each other but then also how they think about themselves and how they went wrong during the fight i don't think i mentioned all six the other ones the um, Tellus. yeah he's he's fine <laughs> yeah he's the one who i was referring to i'm like it's weird that he doesn't get a level <laughs> Yeah, he just kind of has a shop, and then he runs the vending machines. But yeah, he's he's fine. Yeah, it's so... I think it's smart because you get to see this group of people and how they handled a traumatic event in their life and how connected they are. And I think it, it really does wonders for the storytelling, and, and it, it it's so smart. Yeah, because like at the end of the first game you were helping each person with their own problems, and that was like the highlight of that game. But all of those troubles were kind of isolated. They're just kind of all in the same area because they're that's an asylum, I guess. Uh, this is like if you took every one of those people's problems, but you also tied them all together with a overarching story where like, there's a reason that all of these people's problems are the way they are. And it's because of this one event that nobody really wants to be super honest about. So as you un- unfold that event as well you get to see that like they're hiding things from themselves, but also from everybody else. And it's essentially up to you to help fix that, which is also tied back to Raz's character. You're not, you are kind of a third party to it, but then it also ties back into his family. Like every aspect is tied together. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it feels like it's all wonderfully, you're right. Tied together. Like it's, it's, it's cohesive. Yes, cohesive is a great, a uh, great descriptor for that. Versus the first game, which, you know, we praised some of that second half stuff, but we also noted like it could have been handled better, right? And I think some of that was just the time period in which this was made. But you know, I, I think that this this idea of tying individuals together with this traumatic event is so inspired because you get to see how they handled it and how some of them compartmentalized and bottled up their feelings and or didn't deal with it at all and like how that affects them decades on and i think it's such a clever way to handle something like this that is very real in a lot of ways like 
like um like I mentioned earlier, Bob's bottles is such an affecting level because you're looking at somebody's perspective who really handled something poorly and um you know is a drunk, which is so intense for a cartoony platformer. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. it's very intense. Like it's that level is is it was it's honestly kinda of hard to play through because of how real it is. Um but I, I think it's really handled appropriately and, and lovely. Yeah, well, and then you get, you also deal with some serious stuff in, like, Cassie's level where you're dealing with her multiple personalities and her, like, life as a criminal and and all of that stuff as well. And I think both of those levels, they both come at, towards the end of the game, but they both feel kind of more somber than the rest of them, if you oh, kind of yeah. get that vibe. Both those levels deal with an element of acceptance, which I guess a lot of this does, but like those two in particular of accepting Cassie's in particular a lot because it's accept- her accepting her past and sort of the, not personalities, but herself, different, really. Yeah, different eras of her life. Um, you know, where she changed and became a different person, you know, where she was a teacher and then a writer and then. A criminal <laughs> and like kind of having to accept that past and and not necessarily you know accepting that like she is not a bad person or a worse person because of it and then uh bob stuff accepting like the traumatic events in his life which led him to where he is now it's it's all very powerful <laughs> yeah and I think the levels really feed back into that because, um, and the design of it, because like with the, um, with Cassie's level, it's all primarily set in the library where she's sort of compartmentalizing, like you said, and sorting and trying to keep her brain in order (laughs) along with her other personalities, which, which she literally locks in a cage trying to keep them contained. So it's up to you to like, kind of, bring that together merge yourself back together but then help you know take apart her her false sense of security i guess but the thing i love about that is it's not it's not helping personality win and take over it's helping them come together like it's it's very they literally merge back together into one being yeah and i do think it i do think if this if this was a level in the first game it would have been we're going to help the good one win. And that's not the case here, which I think is, it's a really, really smart way to impart that, that lesson, I guess. or that Yeah. Theme. Well, it, and Bob's bottles is kind of similar where he has sort of distanced himself with vast oceans from these traumatic parts of his life. And, you see the actual representations of them, which are these little warped potatoes. They're not doing anything really. They're just being carried around or swung around, or they're just kind of floating through their life. And the only real active participant in his level, aside from Raz is this moth, which is keeping those parts separated. It's literally taking the seeds away from Raz, which is such a creative way of tying the level design of, you know, having these elements which are swinging around or just being carried around. Like, those are actual gameplay elements because they 
move the water around so that you can actually reveal the platforms and not drown. And like, they're basically just moving platforms at that point, but they are story wise so much more. And, you know, having the structure be you pulling these pieces together by getting these seeds and planting these flowers for him, all culminating in a boss fight. It's very rudimentary level design or uh, rather level structure that is being given so much more value by it representing the story. Absolutely. Um, several things I want to note about this level. Uh, shout out to the not Wind Waker music. Oh, yes, as you're surfing on a door. Yes. Um, like, I, I, you know, I love the spherical, like, Mario Galaxy-esque. Like, it's almost like that level in itself is such a mini collectathon, where it's, you get a little hub world... And then you're going into these levels. Like, it's so interesting. But then also, shout out, you can go find uh, people in his life hanging out on small islands. And, you know, that it's basically another way to tell you what he thinks they think of him. And uh, one of them is Lily, who's his granddaughter. Did you find her? I didn't. I didn't know you could find people on the islands. I just found yes, a couple can. collectibles and then the bottles. But it's... It's a funny joke, but also it, I think it's really smart where um, you talk to her and, you know, Raz is like, oh, it's, it's Lily. I wonder where it, you know, how he sees her. And Lily talks to him and it's a different voice actress. Okay. And she's like, oh, yeah, he's seen pictures of me, but we've never met. Oh, well. So, yeah, so he, he doesn't know, know what I sound like, which is like, oh, that's a, that's actually a really clever way to do that. Yeah, I mean, choosing when to use the performance, like, they could have, like, uh, take the Psyking's Sensorium level again, they could have had all the senses be voiced by different characters, or different actors, but by not having them voiced by different actors and tying the story to that, it only adds to it, in addition to having the actual senses, the visual representation of the senses their body types and their face structures and all that while they are exaggerated body parts like this person's whole head is the ear you could still kind of get that that silhouette is trying to be this other main character oh yeah the the art is incredible it's so good it's so good in a way that visually tells a story while also being you know visually interesting to look at which is not a not an easy thing to pull off. Yeah, um, and then I want to know just the last thing I want to say about those bottles. Um, I love that the overworld is so it's almost peaceful, like it's a kind of a nice environment to be in. And then when you go to the individualized sections of it, which you enter through giant bottles, it's also a lot of the time peaceful but depressing, and so you kind of get that come come partimalization um through where like he's kind of created this planet where it's peaceful and he doesn't have to think about the the depressing aspects of his life this sort of melancholy is kind of locked away behind these bottles that i think really works well actual alcoholism bottles yes and then it's capped off with this chaotic boss fight when it all comes to a head when he's forced to to see that um and and i think it's beautiful metaphor for that kind of thing yeah. I want to talk about Compton's cook-off. Yeah. 
because what a wonderful way to demonstrate anxiety. Yeah, then a large crowd and a timed challenge. And a timed challenge, right? Uh, so the idea is like, it's kind of like, it's one of those cooking shows, basically, where you, as Raz, are timed on how you have to cook these meals and there are these giant uh, contraptions. Like there's boiling water and a place where you can chop up food and so on and so forth. A, a place where you can grill and stuff like that. And a blender. And then there's an audience filled with living food. <laughs> That's like... Yeah, who are the ingredients? <laughs> who are the ingredients. And so you have to make these meals based on what it gives you and you're timed. So it'll be like, go boil an egg. Um, you know, go chop up a, a loaf of bread and, and then throw them together and it'll be like a breakfast sandwich. I don't remember what the actual things are. <laughs> They're kind of nonsensical. But um, it's just such a wonderful representation of anxiety. It's it's a time challenge. It's kind of intense. There are judges judging you. And, who are um, his friends. <laughs> yes, who are his friends. Like, it, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing metaphor for that that I think is wonderfully done. While also being a fun level, you yes. know, like you're platforming around, you're throwing things, you're doing all your Psychonauts things in this just active metaphor. That's, yeah, it's that's really what Psychonauts is in a nutshell. No, you're, you're totally right. It is that that sort of metaphor of, of what the series is. It's it's really, really well done. Uh, do you want to talk about Ford? Yeah, sure. Go. We could talk about Ford. Ford gets three levels, all kind of wrapped around the idea of his multiple personalities, um, and also his past. Um, they kind of all intertwine with how he handled the Maligula slash Lucy situation, much like all the other characters, but also they kind of go around his various jobs he had when he was younger, and then kind of participates in when he's, when he's at, when he's away from the Citanium. And so you get one that's when he was a barber, and you're kind of platforming around this hair, which is pretty gross. Honestly, I find that level grosser than the than the dentist teeth stuff. Yeah, different. We all have our own <laughs> weird bodily fears, I guess. But you have that, and then you have one that's him working in a mail room, and you're you're using giant floating letters to to platform around, um, and like a giant typewriter, which is a great set piece. You've got one that's from him working in a bowling alley where he's disinfecting shoes. And then you go into the city where you're inside of a bowling shoe and the germs inside of that shoe are residents of the city. And to get around the city, you have to ride on top of a giant bowling ball. And it's almost <laughs> it's about to be the apocalypse because Ford is about to spray this disinfecting and kill all the germs. It's like, what a wonderfully creative idea for a level. <laughs> uh-huh it's fantastic it's really good and it's kind of got it's almost monkey ball-esque that level because you're rolling around a lot and you're using those physics which is super unique and fun yeah it reminded me a lot of the rolling ball levels in mario galaxy without motion controls <laughs> yeah totally which i you know i i think i think all those levels are, are really good in their own ways um the end of those levels is so cross though <laughs> what were you go in in the back of his brain back of his brain <laughs> <laughs> you see his eyes around he's like what are you doing in there <laughs> yeah, it's gnarly and you're pulling a shot of glass from the brain but yeah I, I really enjoyed those um so 
with all of these, these are all like the psychic six and dealing with their things. Let's talk about Hollis though, because she's kind of an outlier. Yeah, Hollis is kind of the co-president or vice president of the Psychonauts. She is the second head of the second head. Yes, because Truman is the the head, but he's obviously out because he's comatose from. But then also doesn't have his own brain, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Hollis is the head, and she's also teaching the intern program, which is a lot of work. You give Hollis a break, you know, hire some more people. But um, one of the early levels is you go into her brain, where she kind of she has this like classroom setup, which is cool, where she's teaching you how to use mental connection as basically a grappling hook. It's the best move in the game, by the way. Can't go wrong with a grappling hook. No, you game. zip around with the grappling hook. And it also is a great gap closer in combat, which I, I always love. Yeah, but um, you sort of follow her in her mind. And because she is the second head of the Psychonauts, she's all dealing with finances and that sort of stress of keeping everybody safe. And her past, she worked as a, as a doctor at a hospital. And so you end up in this hospital um, where you kind of you learn about her past, learn about a, a co-worker who stole a method she created, basically. And so you kind of you kind of learn about some of that that trauma, but you find her and you use this new mental connection ability you just learned to kind of connect ideas and thoughts. And the idea is, Raz and the other interns want to go on this dangerous mission, right? They want some field experience. They're idiot kids, so they're excited about that. But Hollis doesn't want them to go because she wants them to be safe. And so, the idea is you want to connect thoughts to make her. To give her the idea that taking these children on this spy mission is a good idea. Well, you get her addicted to gambling, right? <laughs> yes, and that's how that mission, ends. The mission is at a casino. So they're like, yeah, get into gambling and also gambling with our lives so that we can go on this mission. Yes, so that's how that ends up. And then you have to go back into her brain to fix the mess you made. And the hospital from before has now become a hospital casino. <laughs> Oh my god, and all the levels where they're like these big gambling things, but they're medical systems. <laughs> yeah, my favorite, uh, my favorite one of those is a, it's a roulette wheel for parents who want a baby. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> and so to get a baby, you have to win the roulette wheel. But obviously all the, all the games are rigged in the house's favor, so they never do, but then you have to rewrite their, rewrite Hollis's brain so that it works, and Oh my god, and then they're like, "What? when is this baby going to be old enough for us to project our ideas onto it? <laughs> yeah, all the writing there is phenomenal. It's interesting because this is like one of the only levels in either game that really deals with... I mean, it's like the start of what becomes a theme in this game, which is what is what does it mean to tamper with someone's mind? Because Raz does tamper with Hollis's mind and it goes really poorly. And then he tells her and she's like, oh yeah, no, I, that makes a lot more sense. Why would I ever be addicted to gambling? Cause it's so bad. But so then it deals with, you know, further into the game, it deals with Ford manipulating Nona's brain and, or Maligula's brain. And I mean, Hollis was manipulating her coworkers brain so that she could get credit for her own idea. <laughs> Uh, but it left him a mess. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because it's like one of the only times it deals with what the Psychonauts actually do 
because then later it goes into what the psychonauts did rather than what they actually do you know yeah and i love it addresses that area of the fiction because you do kind of playing the first game and stuff you're kind of left wondering like well why wouldn't you just if you can go into their mind and change things why wouldn't you and i think this is a great job of addressing that ethically and um you know there's a there's a really good um sort of adult to child conversation that i think sasha shasha gives raz at the end of this where he's like no we don't do that like that is like that's, so that's messed up yeah that's that's really not okay and i think it does a great job of imparting that like no this is ethically a problem and this is why in the fiction you don't see this and, and i really like the way that's handled also they get smaller roles but shout out to sasha and maya mia mia mila 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 no it's it's mila but if you talk to her she'll tell you um that sasha pronounced it wrong and she thought it was cute oh okay <laughs> glad they have an in-fiction reason why yeah. it's so inconsistent yeah I, I love those characters i think they're really underrated they're really fun yeah we got we got time with them in rhombus ruin though yeah totally you want to talk about the ending um yeah which the big part? twists the big twists the big twists um the fact that truman Sinado has had his brain replaced with the czar of grulovia which is the country where raz's family is from and lucy who is his not grandmother no great so, aunt technically so lucy is is raz's great aunt and was then had her mind and Raz's dad's mind manipulated into thinking that it was his grandmother instead of his great aunt. Right, because his actual grandmother was unintentionally killed by her. Yes, so when they were founding the Psychonauts, they were doing a bunch of experiments to broaden their psychic abilities, which left their minds really vulnerable, which was fine when they were just in the summer camp, but then... Grulovia was having protesters, I think. So the czar, they're having a war troubles. One of those, the czar called Lucy back to help with that. But then he ended up messing with her mind and manipulating her to be like his, essentially like his muscle to exert his will over the country, uh, which absolutely messed her up and made her villainous. Um, because of her weakened mo- emotional state. So uh, that's how Maligula came to be. And then the Psychonauts had to go stop her. And they buried Maligula deep inside of her, inside of Lucy's mind. And then had her be Raz's grandmother. Which also explains where the water curse came from. Because Ford put into Lucy's mind that to stay away from water, which then she told all of the, her family at that point (laughs) to also stay away from water. So the curse isn't real, but you still see it manifest as this hand throughout the game. Yes. um, uh, I love, it's probably a pun, but I, it's been a very long time since I've like had a psychology class, but I love that Maligula is, isn't like an evil force exclusive to her. That's like your fight or flight. It, it's been it's manifested in her uh, to the point where it, it takes her over basically 
Yeah, it's your limbic system, I believe, is what does that. So it's a pun on like malignant and the limbic system. So it's a maligula. Ah, thank you. Yeah, it is. I know that's got to be that's that's something. Yeah, it's something. Um, Yeah, which which I I really like. Um, I also like the delusionists. Yeah, because she has water powers, so they it's a deluge, but they're also delusionists. It's a good pun. Yeah, so what we find out is the Tsar and his family escaped from the country because Maligula kind of just destroyed it all, basically. It kind of left it in ruin. And so there's a lot of refugees from there, including Raz's family, his sort of grandparents are from, and all that. But yeah, the Tsar survived and left with his, his family, including his son, who his son grows up and infiltrates the Psychonauts and is the one responsible for kidnapping Truman in the first place, puts his own brain in Truman's body, so he essentially the headquarters of the Psychonauts. Yeah, so he is also Nick from the mailroom. <laughs> yes. Who loses his brain pretty early on, which is then explained that his brain is in Truman, and Truman's brain is in a box. Yes. And then Helmet's brain ends up in Nick's body. <laughs> yes, and Nick's body is voiced by Elijah Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so sort of the last level is you go into Truman's brain, who they, who at least they think is Truman, because Lily is worried about him, uh, because he is not acting normally. And you go in there and you discover that, yeah, because he's not Truman. <laughs> yeah, he is Nick from the mailroom, a.k.a. the Tsar of Grulovia. And the final level is a big, it's a small world attraction. <laughs> yes. It is, it's a small world of teaching you about the history of of the Tsar, of this incarnation of the Tsar, and it is very good. Yeah, it's, it's like another retelling of the Maligula story, because they tell it in like four different ways throughout this game, um, each from like different perspectives and how they saw the event. And so the Tsar's point of view is that Lucy was helping them, and then the Psychonauts put a stop to it and destroyed their home. So that's why he wants revenge against the Psychonauts when that's kind of backwards from the, from reality. But uh, you get to see his motivations. And then you also go a little bit deeper into some of his plans throughout the game, like his apartment at the Lady Lectopus, the casino. And then you end up in the gift shop where you see a bunch of <laughs> cheaply made dolls of the Psychonauts. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so fun. Because um, the ride will stop periodically, and so you'll platform around these environments. And it's such a it's a fun idea for, for a level, but there's one that's the Psychonauts camp from the first game. But, you know, it's made of these, um, like, cardboardy cutouts that you get to jump around and check out, which is a, an enjoyable set piece. You can also find the, uh, the stereos that are projecting the music and break them, which I think is a fun touch. <laughs> Oh yeah, make the music part of it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's a very enjoyable environment, and I think it it's such a great way to kind of communicate to you the villain's plan, but also motivations. Um, it, it works really well. But also by it being this sort of informational presentation ride, it's all like propaganda essentially. So it's sort of a visual representation of him being affected by the propaganda that was fed to him by his father and yes it's a very unique way to do an information dump 
Yeah, and it doesn't feel oddly paced despite being at the end of the game. <laughs> like it still works. Yeah, absolutely. Um so obviously then the game culminates with you fighting off Malagila with the help of your Nona. <laughs> um you know, sealing that part away and making peace with it and then all's well that ends well. Yeah, we get a we get another reference to the first game where you get to get giant again. It kind of resembles more of a fighting game. It's it's a it's not a hard mechanically, but it's a fun set piece with uh yeah, with the um, other aspect of Lucy's brain hanging out with you and helping you out. Um it's very sweet. Yeah, this whole game is very sweet. We didn't talk about Raz's family and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Yeah, you get a lot of backstory on them, um, especially since, you know, they were... It's It was revealed at the end of the first game that Raz's father is also psychic, so there's some dynamic of him wanting to add psychic things to their circus act, but Raz's mom not wanting to do that, and then you get to do side quests him with all of your... to support his son. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's so yeah. sweet. And you get to do side quests with all of your siblings and cousins and stuff, and it's all very good. Yeah, you have an older sister who's also a psychic, but kind of ashamed about it. Like, it's all, it's really good. Yeah, I love the family. I love that they show up, and, and I love their campsite. I love talking to them. I think there's a lot of fun conversations there. Yeah, it's all, it's all very good and all very wholesome. It, it kind of all builds on that sort of last bit from the first game, which is nice. Yep, I'm always, also just always a sucker for all of the team coming together to defeat the final boss. And you get a lot of that where all of your family members and then all of the interns and all of that yeah. come together. It's really good. Also shout out to that sequence at the end of the, the, um, the casino where the, the interns are also helping you and you get oh, those you get fun this... comic book cutaways yeah. too. Yeah. Fantastic. Shout out to Sam. Sam is the best character in this game. <laughs> Yep, she is the sister of Dogen from the first game. And Who was also... the best character in the first game? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, she is also the daughter of, or the granddaughter of Bob. No, not Bob. No. They Compton. are Compton, yes. Uh, yeah, she is, she's very funny. Um, you can go find her. There's a there's an old rundown abandoned uh, diner. That's also fun to platform on because it's like a giant stack of pancakes. But uh, she's in there making food for the coach. <laughs> and uh, I encourage everybody to go talk to her and exhaust all those dialogue options because it is some of the funniest writing. And then if you go talk to the coach in the bowling alley, he's like, oh, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to eat the pancakes. I'm going to use them as heat plating for my mech. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh, she's just threatening the animals. <laughs> Because she can also talk to them. It's a family trait. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's amazing. Um, shout out to the clairvoyance. That word I still can't say. I haven't clairvoyance. learned. Clairvoyance. Also shows up in this game. See how people see you. It's also very fun. Lots of fun yeah. artwork there. Lots of unique details that they didn't have to include, but definitely did. Yes. Although I guess in this game they do a little bit more where you can use the clairvoyance on certain characters and then position yourself to where you can see like a stash of money that they can see, but you can't, and then you can get collectibles that way. Yeah. It's a good way of encouraging people to see it. I think. Yeah. There's also an enemy type later that does the same thing that you have to use that mechanic for to beat. Yeah. You need to find the source of the bad mood, which is great. <laughs> 
yeah, very, very good stuff. Um, anything else? Any details? Any story elements we want to talk about before we wrap it up? I think we've covered it. I think there's there's a lot more, but like you you know you've played it. Yes. Or if you haven't and you've listened this far, still go play it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of the best platforms ever made. I'll stand by it. Um, it's up there. It's up there for sure. Thank you for listening. Um, if for some reason you stumbled into this episode and have not listened to the others, we did talk about Psychonauts 1 and the Rhombus of Ruin. So check out back in the feed for that. Uh, apologies, this was meant to be out one week after Rhombus of Ruin, and then I went on a work trip and had to deal with getting uh, Adobe License back. It's, it's a whole mess, so <laughs> this will be a week late, so apologies about that. But coming up... We we are we're gonna switch gears here. We're gonna switch genres, and we're gonna talk about one of my all-time favorite series. We're gonna we're gonna finally be taking a look at Halo. Yes, it is an anniversary this year, right? Or was it last year? It was this late year? last year. Okay, I just missed it just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, oh yeah, childhood favorite of mine, Halo. That's that's up next. Yeah, so so tune in for that next time and. Um, Hey, it would be super cool if if you got some time. Maybe maybe go rate this podcast. Yeah, tweet about it. Do something. Yeah, on your your podcast service of choice, whatever that may be. I think we're on pretty much everything. Hey, if we're not, let us know. We'll, we'll try to solve that. Um, if you found this and you have a different podcast app, let us know. <laughs> yeah, you know, put us on in your friend's car or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with the show and any updates and stuff, you can follow us at Save Station Pod on Twitter. Uh, Connor runs that. Where could the people find you? Uh, you can find me at Conifer SSR. I usually post a couple things from games I'm playing, like the time that I got stuck out of bounds in Psychonauts 2 and there's no kill plane below the hub world, so you just fall endlessly. <laughs> yeah, follow me at Conifer SSR for that. Where can they find you, Dustin? You can find me at Dustin H. Dragon, or I'll tweet about various things. I'm not very consistent on there. It's but, a very uh, sporadic, large burst, empty silence over there. You know, sometimes Twitter is stressful, right? Oh, it certainly <laughs> is. That's why I'm not on it right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you know, check it out there. Uh, you know, I'll be on sporadically. If you want to send me a message, if you have questions about the podcast, I'm always happy to answer those. So let, let, let us know. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening, and please remember to always be good to each other. Yeah, and take care. Bye. When my friends pulled me back up, I started.